Hi, welcome to Pineapple Reels. I'm your host, Nia. And on today's episode, I'll be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which came out in 2021 by writer and director Shaka King. The other writers include Kenton Keith Lucas and Will Burson. Stay tuned. That right there is a sound of spoiler alert. If you have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah and you would like to see it, please go ahead and stop this podcast and go ahead and watch it. It's available currently in theaters and on Amazon Prime. Then when you're done, go ahead and hop right back on this podcast and listen to the rest. Now, before I get into this discussion with my guest who happens to be my dad this episode, I wanted to give a small coffee chat about the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. I did watch it when it came out on HBO Max. I actually watched it twice. I watched it once by myself, and then I watched it again with my boyfriend, and I actually made him watch it. He didn't know about it until I showed him the trailer, and it it intrigued him, and then after I watched it, I felt so emotionally charged from it. And I told her, I was like, you know what? I think you need to watch this film. I think it's an important part of your history that you do not know deeply like that. And I think it'll be good for you if you do. Now, when he watched it, seeing him watch it, because I was watching him to see his reactions towards it, he had a lot of the same reactions I did. There were points in the movie where we felt anger towards a certain uh, person or group of people for what they were doing, what they were saying. And we paused the movie a lot to have discussions and look up information to fact check things because he didn't know about who Fred Hampton was and truly what the Black Panther movement was. Now, for me, in my life, I said this before, I come from a family of extremely Afrocentric parents. My mother is Jamaican. My father is from Detroit. So I was raised in a household where I was I was always told Black is beautiful, that we should know our ancestors and our people and people who before us who have paved the way for us in a certain kind of way. And I think it's important, no matter what age you are, that you do know this information and you do know these important historical figures. So for me, hearing about this film when it was even in talks of being done and I was following the, the Lucas brothers and what they were saying, I was extremely excited for this because I was just thinking, finally, we get to see this part, see the story, you know, seeing how it's told as well too. I When I saw the trailer, it spoke to me. It seemed very strong and impactful. The, even though, even to the lighting of the film, I liked how it was. And yeah, I just want to go ahead and start into this coffee chat. For me, this movie gave me a deeper appreciation for the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton. Growing up, my parents always spoke to my siblings and I about prominent Black figures in history. The Black Panthers were always spoke of in a positive light, how they cared about the people and instilled strength in the community. From watching the trailer for the first time, I was excited to see this portrayal as it was long overdue. Once the trailer started making its rounds to ask friends around my age their opinions regarding the film. To my disbelief and surprise, most of them had no idea who who Fred Hampton was, what he stood for, and all of the good the Black Panthers had done. To the creators of this film, I applaud you for making this film. Stories like this need to be seen and heard. After I watched this film, I watched a documentary that was mentioned in the film. 
to know more of the backstory and insider information. And while watching it, I was overwhelmed with emotions. I actually cried. And, you know, Fred Hansen was only 21 years old when he died. He was so young, but so driven. His words echoed in my mind. I live for the people because I love the people. He was a revolutionary, a bright light in this dim world. His words were inspiring. Alrighty now, so for this coffee chat, I will be using um, the synopsis section on the IMDb page of Juice and the Black Messiah, just as a reference point for the movie for me. Now, the film begins with us seeing William O'Neill's character, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield, and he uh, gets arrested after trying to, after hijacking a car while posed as a federal officer, and he's approached by Special Agent Roy Mitchell, who lets him know, hey, you know, either you can go to jail for some years, or you can help us do an assignment, which is to infiltrate the Black Panther Party for their chapter in Chicago, and also keep an eye on Fred Hampton. So William O'Neill, he gets close to Fred, who Fred is this really amazing man who is working to form alliances with uh, rival gangs and uh, other groups while extending community outreach through the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program for children. And I do like that in the film they did get to show you so you can kind of like sit in what they actually did for these children in their communities. They taught them about their history. They made sure they had a safe place to come to. They made sure they had food in their bellies because maybe their parents couldn't or they didn't have the time to. And that's very important that if you're in a a position to or you just have the time to, it is always important to help these babies out. I used to work in in childcare and no matter what the child's home life is like, it is definitely important to, you know, put value back into our children and put value back into our communities. In the film, we do see Lakeith's character seems seems like he's struggling with, you know, feeling like a traitor to his people, realizing, hey, the Black Panther Party actually they're not as bad as people are, th- are making them seem. They're not this evil group of people. They're actually trying to help their own people and people who look like them and people who are just without. They're trying to help these children and making sure they have an education, they have food in their bellies. But, you know, we also see the evil side of it is even though, quote unquote, his character is feeling this certain kind of way, he's still continuing with the FBI. He's in any time he has some pushback of telling the agent, no, I think I'm I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. They just keep giving him money and it seems to be like that's what shuts him up. And I actually watched a documentary that is mentioned in this film. I think it's pronounced uh, Contaparello. I have a hard time saying that word for every reason. And his words, William's words, didn't sound remorseful. He just made it kind of seem like, oh, I was doing a job and I did it and it's whatever. But looking at him physically it looked like there was you know some reservations or what he's what he said or what he did you know if you think about think about it he was very young when this happened as was Fred Hampton when Fred Hampton died he was only 21 years old to me that's extremely young and William O'Neill was 
17, 18, 19 during this whole thing as well. So that's a lot as well to take into account of what would you have done if you were his age? Um, Do you think you would have did what he did? Do you think you would have had some pushback? And we get, that's obviously up for debate. I do see that it's kind of ironic that though he verbally said in the documentary, you know, I did what I had to do. I don't have remorse for my actions. But literally right after the documentary aired, he killed himself. So either he felt some kind of way after he did what he did or he didn't want to deal with the ramifications of his actions. Because if you don't know if y'all know this or not, no one knew, like the general public didn't know that he was the rat in the group. They had no idea. They didn't know until this documentary aired. So only FBI people knew about what was going on. And I'm not going to lie. When I watched the film, I was so angry with this character. And I love, I love Lakeith. He's one of my favorite actors. I think he does so good and has such versatility in his roles. This man is amazing. And he even said in an interview with, I believe it was, was it The Breakfast Club or another group? He said that he had uh, issues playing this character and had to see a therapist to deal with it and to cope with what but the character he played and all the emotion that that took out of him and the mental the, the, the mental stress. And I appreciate actors like him who do take on these roles and do truly do their research to try to be as close to this person as they can be. I looked back at videos of Fred Hampton and his speeches and, and photos of him. And I think Daniel did a really good job with his voice, even like his body type, the way he walked, slight little mannerisms. I think he did a good job as as embodying that character too. So much the, uh, to the for me, it was I forgot that I'm watching Daniel. I forgot I'm watching Lakeith, which is what I want in a movie. I should forget this actor and it should be as if I'm watching a video of a real person doing whatever it is that I'm seeing on screen. I think this film did a good job at showing just how powerful we can be as people when we come together and put differences aside to, you know, fight for what is best for the general consensus. And I loved the Rainbow Coalition. And I did ask my father about this. So what do you think would have happened if the Rainbow Coalition, if uh, Fred Hampson ever died, what do you think would have happened with the Rainbow Coalition? Like, how would it be today? And I think it would be this very strong, powerful movement that would have been able to jump over hurdles. You know, and I think we have to take that. If anybody could take anything from this film, I think that right there, showing up what we can do when we come together as people, um, what we can do together, I think it was just so beautiful, you know, and that is something that lingers in my mind of right now, today in 2021, what are we going to do to better ourselves for the next generation to come? How are we going to push this ball along for the next. On today's episode of Pineapple Reels, I have Jamal Kenya Shante, author and owner of Black Lab Publishing. He also happens to be my father. So dad, finally, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, glad to be here. 
Oh, finally. I'm sure a lot of people have heard you about you in just about every episode I talk about you. So it's nice that they can finally match a voice to the name of my dad. <laughs> so let's go, let's go ahead and get into these questions about Judas and the Black Messiah, which came out this year in 2021. For those of you who do not know, it debuted at Sundance Film Festival to critical acclaim. And now let's go ahead and start the first question, which is, um, in your opinion, what is the direct relation of the movie title to its subject matter? Okay, first of all, I would like to state that I have not watched the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, but I love the title. Judas, as most of you know, was the trusted disciple of Jesus that betrayed him in the Garden of Gethsemane for 30 pieces of silver to the occupying Roman army. Black Messiah is a leader or savior of a group or cause. Fred Hampton was one of many leaders in the black power movement that fit that bill. So just to dwell back on that part that you said the 30 pieces of silver, because I did my little bit of research and had to reread the story because I mm -hmm. haven't read it or heard about it since I was a child in Sunday mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And the 30 pieces of silver part caught me because in the film, mm -hmm. exactly what happens with William O'Neill, mm -hmm. he, for little pieces of money it seems like at first like a hundred dollars here three hundred dollars mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. is giving these insider tips mm -hmm. to the fbi and to me essentially it's kind of like he sold his soul do you think you agree with that that of what he did yeah of, of course i mean it, it it goes with the the judas part so they have to weave the judas part into that why why was he a judas why are they saying judas why aren't they just saying a traitor you know, right. but when you put Judas and you put Messiah together, that immediately takes you back to Christianity. So you got to thread that together. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I think, I think that was really good at how you said that. Now, I wasn't alive during this time, obviously. I'm a 90s baby, but you were. So what was life like during the Black Panther movement? Okay, I was born in November 1959 or as I like to put it, six weeks before the shit hit the fan. When you are living in the eye of the storm, you have no reference to the upheaval you are experiencing because that is your normal. My family were pretty conservative, go to work, go to club, go to church, family gatherings, etc. When I was about six or seven, some of the young men in the neighborhood that had joined groups like the Nation of Islam or the Black Panthers would give me various history lessons about ancient black history. They had to do that on the sly because they knew my grandparents would not approve of their message. They told me that we black people came from Africa and that we ruled our own kingdoms. They told me that all people in the world originate from black people in Africa. They told me don't believe what they are telling you. Go study for yourself at the main library. So in other words, even though I'm telling you this, don't believe me, go check it for yourself. Mm -hmm. They planted a seed in me, which almost 50 years later became my current book called A Change Is Gonna Come, The Color Complex, but we can talk about that later. Well, like you're saying, you did the same thing to me and my siblings growing up, which is, Y'all, my dad would make us do book reports 
when we were kids. And like, as soon as I could read and write, my dad made me get an encyclopedia and I had to give him a one page report on a prominent black person in history that I never heard of. And when I told my friends and I'm complaining, I'm like, oh, you know, what do you have to write about? And they would say, what are you talking about? That's not a thing in my household. And as I, when I was younger, it actually irritated me. And I was like, why is my mom and dad, why are they doing this to us? Like, they're making us do all these extra steps when I have friends who look just like me who aren't having to, to go through this. But as I got older in my later teen years, in my earlier 20s, I realized why it was important of why I knew my history. Because school does not teach you certain things. School taught me that Black Panthers are radicals and that they shouldn't that they shouldn't have been around that and that they were doing bad things and they kept comparing them to the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time with that because I'm like, well, that's what my mom and dad told me and that's not what I read in these books that I was reading. And so I think it's very important that if you're Black, that you know your history and where your people come from and you're not just taking what the public education school system is giving to you because they're regurgitated BS, right. to be honest. Right. And and that goes for any group, you know, yeah. Hispanic, um, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever group you are, whatever, whoever you identify with, it's good to know your history, because, believe me, they're not going to give it to you. Nope. It's not going to be in that curriculum, no kind of way. You're only going to learn about who and what they want you to learn about, and we call that brainwash education. Oh, that. Huh. Yes, <laughs> I for sure know that. Yeah. Now, how did things change in that time period after Fred Hampton's death or assassination, I should say? Okay, Fred Hampton died in December 1969, and I had just turned 10 only a few weeks before that. I had no knowledge of Fred Hampton when he was alive, but I do remember the teenagers and the Panthers really tripping out about his death. Uh, his death was kind of a call to arms. The assassinations of Dr. King and Malcolm X were surgical and covert, but the assassination of Fred Hampton was done with a 14-member death squad with the full intent of killing everyone within his apartment. Now, I didn't, I didn't give you this question um, or, or mention it, but... I actually watched a documentary that this movie is based on, and the fact that the FBI rang out 99 shots, mm-hmm. and the Black Panthers only got off one, mm-hmm. and that one shot was in the ceiling, mind you, it wasn't even mm-hmm. at a police officer, mm-hmm. it blows my mind. And the fact that the FBI covered this up for decades, they did not want to admit what that they, what they did, or that they were a fault, they just kept trying to blame this group, saying mm-hmm. that they had ulterior motives, you know, basically trying to call them terrorists. Of course. And it's false information. And I do like that the movie didn't, I know you didn't see the film, Mm -hmm. but they didn't shy away from that. Mm -hmm. They actually showed that what was going on and how Mm -hmm. the people in the city who were living there, like, this is not what's happening. Mm -hmm. You guys are lying. And they actually will come in and investigate to Mm -hmm. see, like, all these bulls are coming, came from the FBI. Yeah. And it didn't come from them. And I think the, like, I saw the, the photos, unfortunately, of Fred Hampton, where he was at. Also, William O'Neill drugged him mm-hmm. at, a, at, a, mm-hmm. at a party earlier exactly. to ensure that he would stay put. Mm-hmm. And the scene with, I believe her name was Dominic Fisher, who played uh, 
his love interest. Mm-hmm. She's trying to wake him up, and I, I saw the woman who really was his, his love interest, and she said, you know, he just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And to hear her words and to see her face match with it, right. it is, it is, it is, it, it unsettled me. I, I felt for her. And same with seeing uh, actual Fred Hampton Jr., Mm-hmm. Seeing, seeing him too, mm-hmm. it's just like you know, you look a lot like your dad. Mm-hmm. You sound like your dad. You mm-hmm. know, you so you have that strength of your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point is, you know, I'm glad that the story came to light, even for people my age or younger, because they don't know the story. Right. So many people of my age didn't know who Fred Hampton was. They didn't even mm-hmm. know the name. Mm-hmm. And I think I forget that I am privileged in the fact that. I know a lot of my history because of you, mm-hmm. because of mom, because mm-hmm. of people that you put in our lives, like Baba Tunde, mm-hmm. who would read, who would make sure that we knew where we come from and our mm-hmm. people and certain things. All that's very important. And I see myself doing it to kids that I know, to right. my nieces and my nephew, to my right. godson, um, just because I don't want them to not know that information. They, they, right. they need to know. They don't need to be oblivious. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I mean, you can't, you can't expect other people to teach your history. I mean, they, they try to obliterate it, our history, like, like we just dropped here out of, out of you know, thin blue air and, and we're just supposed to be happy to, to be here because when I was growing up, if you wanted to, to really offend a black person, say that they're African or they look African. That, that was worse than saying the N-word. I kid you not. But you know, I see people my age get mad about that too. And to mm-hmm. me, when so I've had people come to me and say, you look Nigerian, you look mm-hmm. Ghanaian, you look mm-hmm. like my Ethiopian auntie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Exactly. exactly. Um, I'm American. I'm not for sure where in Africa mm-hmm. I am from, mm-hmm. but maybe our people were, was mm-hmm. from, were from Nigeria right. or, or, or Ghana. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I take that with a sense of pride that I don't mm-hmm. look American. It actually right. makes me happy, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, yeah, sorry. Um, next question is, uh, how do you think life would be now if Fred Hampton wasn't assassinated? What do you think would have come from the group he helped bring together the Rainbow Coalition? Okay. Um, many of the groups that were formed in the 1960s and 1970s were basically killed or maimed or subverted in their incubation. The Panthers in particular, main mission was to feed low-income children and to educate them about their true history, not the brainwash education that was and still is taught in U.S. schools. Teach them how to challenge authority and the value of self-protection. The Rainbow Coalition was the power elite's worst nightmare come true. Black and brown revolutionaries, educators, criminals, etc., coming together to help and protect their own communities and to expel the occupying police force, which brutalized and killed the citizens that it was in theory supposed to protect. As you know, this still goes on today unabated. Fred Hampton, MLK, Malcolm X. If they had lived and were able to communicate freely and honestly with the people, could have changed everything in our society. The rule of the wicked is not easily overthrown. Mm, that was good, Dad. That was really good, yeah, man. That's what I do. 
I know. I, I can see their writing <laughs> skills just, just beautiful. Um, now, in your opinion, why do you think William O'Neill committed suicide? Now, before you give me your answer, I don't know if you know this little fact. He tried to commit suicide before he died. He tried to jump out of the window and was pulled back. And his wife is in denial that he purposely tried to kill himself. She, but I think it was his, his uncle said that he he had all this remorse for what he did. Because he was young when this happened. People don't remember know that. But he was a teenager when all this was going on. Fred Hampton's 21. He's a baby. And O'Neill, he was 17, 18. He's a baby, too. So that's first of all for the FBI to act to, to bully this teen who not saying he didn't do anything bad he did he did crime whatever mm-hmm. he was uh, stealing cars and per se an officer mm-hmm. and they gave him an ultimatum to go go to jail or do do this um, intel for us and it, mm-hmm. of course he chose the intel side because it was easier in his opinion he doesn't have to be in jail he gets freedom mm-hmm. and I only can imagine you know what all that took your all the lying that you're doing and trying to keep your story straight Mm -hmm. and you know personally and I think it's because I saw the film and I saw the documentary whether he was honest in that documentary or not his words still were cold to me where he was like I don't have remorse for what I did basically it it is Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. but it's like his face wasn't matching the words he was saying it's like he was I don't know if someone was like telling him off camera or was like a deal Mm -hmm. of like you need to act as if this was all you're doing to mm-hmm. get yourself out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in the black community, most people look at him as a sellout. You know, mm-hmm. like, look what you did and how it directly affected. More people should have been dead in the house, first of all. Mm-hmm. You could have you could have got... Fred Hampton Jr. could have not been alive today. He's mm-hmm. very lucky that he was born yeah, because exactly. his mom could have easily got shot. Yep. You know, and it's like, this one person did all this stuff, you know what I mean? So, in my opinion, I think, yeah, he was consumed by guilt, but... I don't feel bad, honestly, that he was consumed with guilt. I'm just, mm-hmm. That might sound cold. I just don't have remorse <clears throat> for, for what happened for him. Yeah. To him, I mean. Uh, I know, you know, when you think about the age of, of the people, you know, you think of yourself, no matter what age you are right now, put yourself back at, at 17 years old or 18 years old, and these grown men, grown authoritarian figures who who have the the right to put you in jail basically for the rest of your life. I mean, they can they they trumped up charges on people all the time and and they're in jail. A lot of the Panthers even today are in jail over trumped up charges, you know? So, you can't say that they won't do it. You can't say that they didn't do it because they did. It happened. These people are in prison just because they tell you this is what happened and this is what this person did. And it sounds horrendous, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not true. You know, they tell you what they want to tell you. So my answer to your question about him committing suicide. The Judas that committed suicide, he probably realized how he had been used and exploited by the FBI. All he did was help extinguish a bright light, Fred Hampton and help maintain the status quo. Okay. Now, in your opinion, who is or who was the most well-known Black Panther? Okay, the most well-known Black Panther. Um, the brilliant thing that the BPP did, and that's the Black Panther Party, uh, 
whenever I say BPP, did was not to have one head of their organization. Originally, it was three co-equal leaders, Bobby Seale, Huey Newton, and Eldridge Cleaver. And later they added Stokely Carmichael, who later changed his name to Kwame Torre. However, without the women in the main organization of BPP, it would not have been as successful or lasted as long as it did. They were Elaine Brown, Kathleen Cleaver, most prominently. Angela Davis was a BPP member for a short period of time, but she quit because she felt the group, the group was sexist. I would also say that the most, most of the leadership of the BPP were extremely intelligent. Many were university students and some have attained degrees ranging from bachelors to doctorates, also lawyers and et cetera. Um, but the most well-known Panther was Huey Newton in my humble opinion. That's what I think too. When you ask someone, I think like generally on the street, hey, mm-hmm. name a Black Panther person. You're like uh, Huey. I know Huey. And 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 you know why? I don't know if you've ever seen that that picture. It's like an iconic oh, picture yeah. and of like the him wicker sitting chair. in a wicker chair. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why. It's, right it's there. Most, that there's a lot of posters yes. on a lot of T-shirts, yes. and then like. I know, I know a lot of people who they wear their free Huey shirt, and I ask them, like, oh, you know, I'm trying to talk to them about They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking it's about. It's a thing that it's they cute. know. but they, good. It's a thing they know that they know is popular, and they're getting mm-hmm. it just to wear it. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? You wearing that shirt, somebody mm-hmm. will see it and be like, I mm-hmm. actually want to know why the shirt's so important, yeah. why it's a big deal. Yeah. And then you have another person who's going to bring that knowledge to somebody else. It's that, that's how it's going to have to be yeah. is... We're going to have to tell these stories to our kids, our grandkids, mm-hmm. nieces, nephews, friends, everybody in between, and the curious person who just asks you, mm-hmm. you know, because knowledge is power. And mm-hmm. I've given a couple of uh, speeches to people who are strangers to me, and they mm-hmm. ask me a question. Like, uh, during the BLM protests, I had quite a few white people that felt also bold to ask me certain questions, not in a rude way, just a mm-hmm. curious of like, curious. you know, what do you think needs to change? Mm-hmm. Or... They're white allies. Like, what can mm-hmm. I do to help? You know, what can right. I really do to evoke change and show that I stand with you? And mm-hmm. I'm like, I think that's where, it's, that's where it starts a conversation because it's 2021. You know, Dad, we're a generation apart and it shouldn't be where you're a boomer, I'm a millennial, and we're still going to the same problems. It mm-hmm. may not look the same. Oh, it's the same. But it's exactly the it's same. It's exactly the same. It shouldn't be the same stuff. And and I feel like this movie came out a good time period because it was the height of the BLM protest. And they even pushed mm-hmm. it back mm-hmm. because of said thing. And it's just like, whether you put it out at that same time period four years ago, five years ago, five years from now, unfortunately, it's still going to be a conversation. And the, the question that needs to be answering is, why is this still a conversation? Why is this still a thing? Are you that, I don't know, I don't, I don't know say the word threatened, but it's like, you feel that strongly about a group of people? I don't feel that strongly about a group of people to wish them bad or be scared that they're, that they're smart, that they're gaining knowledge, you know, or not even gaining knowledge. They already are smart people. They're just telling other people things that they don't know. You know what I mean? It's one thing to be uh, blissfully ignorant. It's, it's another to be like, I didn't know that, but now I want to know more about said thing. Yeah, it's it's like somebody told LeBron James a few years ago when he was talking about polit- politics to shut up and dribble. Yeah. Which which basically was like 
set up in word, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I look at it like this, like, okay, I was born in 1959. My grandfather was born in 1911, okay? Now, the exact things that was happening to my grandfather are basically happening to me. Now, 1959, because I like history, I go back to his generation, I go back to my mother and father's generation, as well as my generation. I was never a person to just say, oh, why am I worried about that old stuff, you know? Just concentrate on what's happening now. Now, I I always like to, because that's how history is, you know? You have to take everything. Everybody steps into history at a certain point, right? But you got to go back to learn what, what, what happened before you were here. So everything that happened before 1959, I want to know about. As much as I can know about, I'm interested in knowing about it. And in my books, I try to infuse that into my books. You know, not, not in a, a preachy type of way where people be like, oh, I want to hear that. But, you know, you have to make it relevant mm-hmm. and you have to make it so people will understand that, wow, man, this the same thing is happening. The same thing is happening. You know, we call it a different name, but it's the same thing is happening, you know? That's why when people were saying, like, oh, why people who are, I guess, now just seeing what's happening, oh, mm-hmm. why is this happening? It wasn't like this before. It's like, it's been like it's this been for like this. decades, y'all. Never changed. Why are you just now seeing it? It's because now you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Now it's in your face. Now you can't, you know, any news channel you turn on to is there. And, and that's another thing. See, now we have 24-7 news coverage, right? Never had that before. Yeah. Okay. So back in the day, if, if it wasn't nothing, I mean, new, news came on at, you had your local news, maybe at, at 5.30 or whatever. Then you had your, your national news that came on at 6 o'clock, half an hour. You know, and that was it until that next day. I mean, things was in the newspaper because people read newspapers, right? But, you know, if they decided something was not important to cover, then it was not covered, okay? And black and brown and Asian issues were not considered important, so they were not covered. But you see, now what we have too is, um, like you said, yeah, we have 24-7 news. But you're also forgetting social media. Social media mm-hmm. is a form of news. It is news. And I, 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 all yeah. news has to be cro- like you need to do your research and check. Mm-hmm. Don't just y'all please don't read an article blip yep. and think, oh, I know what that says. No, you don't. It's a two-minute read usually, maybe max what five, and you get the full information and details mm-hmm. compared to just reading the title of what happened and saying you know what's going on mm-hmm. in a certain area. So like uh so in Austin, right? There are things happening with the Black Lives Matter protests, right? And we're seeing on the TV, but we're also on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, There's an app called Citizen. We're taking all that different information, what's on the news and what's on my phone Mm -hmm. and what I'm actually seeing. You know, it's like, oh, the highway's not blocked off. What are you talking about? I'm literally seeing a dozen cops on the highway and a group of people. So which one am I supposed to believe? My eyes or what's on the TV? You know, so it's like, I think people forget or they trust so fully into what's in the news blatantly. And I think you need to check all these news outlets to see like what's the common denominator and then, you know, what is maybe filler that I I can't 
double check or it, it's kind of up in the air. You know, um, before we go on, one, one thing that you have to remember, see back, back in the day, newspapers and television stations and stuff like that, they were, they were probably owned by, uh, they were owned by families, right? So you probably had, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 families and groups and stuff like that that owned media, right? Now you have conglomerates which have bought out those family-owned media places and most places throughout the United States. So you probably have about maybe three or four conglomerates that own all the media. That's CNN, that's uh, oh. uh, MSNBC, um, all of that. Yeah, that right? spider web is crazy. And, I've done it. And they will decide what's going to be on, you know, what's going to be covered. So don't even think, like, say you got MSNBC, which, which is considered left, left wing, right? And then you got Fox News, which is considered right wing. But don't necessarily think that they don't have a common interest, okay? Sometimes the left wing may seem like, yeah, they're, they're helping me, and the right wing may seem like they're not helping you, but sometimes it's like a, a method to their madness, you know, to uh, elicit uh, certain feelings from, from people, as, as like January 6th, when, when um, you had a group of uh, Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol and, and basically tried to take it over and, and hunting for certain um, Democratic members of Congress, you know, um, that, that basically had a bounty on their head, okay? That was very, for me, mm -hmm. that was very, um, it was very wild. You know how, like, you, you read stuff and it was, it was scary. scary. And, you know, I have family in D.C., mm -hmm. so in D.C. and near D.C., so that worries me, too. I have family there. One of my friends, she was only a couple blocks away from it, and mm -hmm. she was terrified because she mm -hmm. says, I can't believe my apartment right now because right. they blocked off the street and won't anybody leave. Yeah. And, um... I turned to my boyfriend. I was like, "What the hell is going on with the world right now? Like, we—it's like 2020 happened, and it just kicked everything to high, high hyper gear. People are freaking out for no reason. And my friends in other countries have been calling me, texting me, like, what is going on? Where you're at?' And I'm like, "I don't even know when I live here. Mm -hmm. It's very weird. It's very scary. I even thought, like, you know, America's a young country. This is finally is going to be our final, uh, you know, trying to take over the government. Yeah." awesome we're gonna we're gonna get some like you know real stuff done this is like it's not going the way that i thought it was gonna go mm -hmm. maybe i was being too optimistic but you know america we still haven't had like our true like revolt people keep talking about it and as you know time goes by more recently i'm like i just feel like it's like so close to happening and it's like it'll get kind of close or there'll be some strides and it just kind of recedes you know, and I, I think people are scared to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's why no true progress yeah. is happening. You know, like if you look at the uh, American Revolution, so-called revolution, and in reality, that was rich white men, right? Uh, who decided they didn't want England, which owned America at that time, they didn't want to pay these taxes to them because England kept on raising the taxes. They kept on raising them, raising them, raising them, year after year after year, just raising them, raising them, raising them. Everybody know the more taxes that you pay, the less money that you, that you actually have. And they didn't have as no say-so 
to England. They couldn't say, well, you know, wow, tobacco is not, the crop wasn't good this year, and we can't afford to pay that. You couldn't say nothing. Whatever they told you to pay, you had to pay it, okay? So that was rich people getting together, and basically, um, when they started the war, uh, most Americans were not for the war. They were not for the war. The, the average person, because they didn't have any skin in the game. You know what I'm saying? It was like, hey, wh whatever it is, it is. I mean, hey, they felt they were English, right? It was no American nation at that time. They felt they were a part of, of England. They were like, they're from England or, or whatever. I'm English. So they said, hey, whatever England is, is charging, whatever, it must be right because that's England. Whatever, whatever they say, that's what we do. That's the crown. The, you know, the king is in charge. That's how it was. And if it wasn't for the rich people pushing them, right, and uh, basically making it so the war came to the people, and, you know, once you have skin in the game, like, oh, they killed my mother, they killed my brother, they, they, they overran my, my uncle's farm, and they burnt this. And, but now that's how you got everybody to come in into the war you know that's how it was but of course they don't teach you that no they don't history buff hey Ooh, i'm gonna try this word it's so hard for me to say it <laughs> uh, when the when the quinto pelero Cointelpro. Thank you. Cointel <laughs> Dad, seriously, like I read it like five times. So like Cointel Cointelpro. Yeah. Okay. When that documentary debuted, what were your first thoughts? Okay. I've known about the Cointelpro organization of the FBI since the nineteen eighties because I do a lot of obscure research and books that I have read. Uh, their actual first instance of taking down a black leader was Jamaican Pan-African leader Marcus Garvey and his Back to Africa group named UNITA, okay, U-N-I-T-A. Many black leaders, um, like, say, Martin Luther King's father was a member of UNITA. Uh, Malcolm X's father was a member of UNITA, okay? Um were members of the group. Garvey was the first black leader that spoke of the pride of the motherland, Africa, and of all of our ancient achievements. Because American Industrial Revolution needed black workers, it was deemed unsuitable to allow a mass exodus to Africa. So the movement was subverted, infiltrated, and killed. Because you would think all this time after slavery, you know, we can't get together. They don't want us to live with them. They, they can't, we can't live apart from them. From them. So you, you, you would think that they want us to go, right? Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing about Marcus Garvey. And that's yeah. what he's always was like, you want to go to Africa? So back to Africa is so bad. Yep. Let's go. We're going to go. We're going to yeah. go. We're going to go. Gonna we gonna go. go. Okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I see why he said what he yeah. said. Yeah. But it was because the, because the Industrial Revolution right you had all this mechanization going on you had factories you had cars being built you had all this stuff coal you had steel being you know you you needed labor you needed physical labor for that right and it wasn't enough europeans to do it 
So you had to have those black bodies in there because remember, they can pay you less. You know, they, they pay the black person less than, than, than the white worker. So, wait a minute. You, you, you taking my workforce away? No. No, they can't go. It's just, it's just funny to me, you know? It's just like, I hate you, get out of my country. Wait, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Come, come back right quick. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, now, that's, what, that's what's happening right now with Mexicans. It's like, hey, 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 yeah. we don't want you. Hold up, hold up, now come come back. I don't want to do this job for $5 an hour there or that job for $8 an hour. Okay. I don't want to clean a hotel. Okay. You know what? The average uh, person who's a maid gets, mm-hmm. like I think it's like $9 an hour, $8 an hour. Mm-hmm. Some hotels, they, they do more. But I remember I talked to this lady, very, very hardworking lady, and she gets paid $6 an hour at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And she does it because she has to. And I'm just like, that is that is slave labor, technically. Yeah, it's like it's It's just disgusting. But it's mm-hmm. just like the same person that's smiling in her face, like, oh, you know, thanks for cleaning, whatever. The same person, when she leaves the room, mm-hmm. is talking negatively about her. But mm-hmm. it's like, but you need her. If she were to get hurt or quit tomorrow... Yep. You're gonna really be hurting, yep. and it, it may have been different if you would have gave her a reasonable livable wage, yep. so she could have took care of her health, mm-hmm. and could have been here. There would have been a problem, or felt like you actually cared about her. So like I'm gonna, you know, really be happy I work here because of the opportunity I'm given, and they actually mm-hmm. treat me like an equal. Right. And I think that's a big deal. Like this whole thing relates to when you don't treat a black person, Latino, uh, Asian, Native American, Indian, when you don't treat them with an equal a level of equality respect, it's like man. yeah respect it's a common respect. level of respect to in my mind we all should be banding together mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. if the if we all have a common denominator and we all feel a certain kind of way about this common denominator why are we fighting each other i i, I don't get that part of when it's someone in the latino community doesn't like someone in the black or asian community or vice versa i'm just like you know we're all in this little chicky jungle together and we should be helping each other right we shouldn't be spiteful towards each each other well i'm gonna tell you something i i have this in my in my book i have a whole chapter about this but uh england in particular they are the og of racism okay i mean they went around the world and they they the 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 ingenious thing that they do is to pit one group against another group. But whatever country they go into, where whoever they invade, they say, okay, so the Cheyenne don't like the Arapahoe. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to these people and I'm going to say, well, they don't like you, but hey, I like you and I'll help you, right? So then you get, they, they get one group on their side and that group is going to now the Cheyenne hate the Arapahoe. And Arapahoe hate the Cheyenne. And I mean, they, they are the same, same. They are the same, okay? So that's the whole thing, is divide and conquer, okay? Wait, divide, conquer, and so y'all shouldn't put it in a museum. I like England and all, but like, I went to the British England. Museum, and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I'm like, look at all this shit they stole that they, they won't stole. give back. <laughs> all this shit they stole they won't give back. Ooh, they ain't giving nothing look, back. I, the, the, the part where it's like, it's like the Egyptian side, I'm like, God, uh-huh. big big massive pieces <laughs> and i'm just like and y'all are like he's like can we get her so bad they're like mm, no nah, nah, we good no no sorry now even the jewels that are in queen elizabeth's crown they come from different places throughout the world that that they have went and and dominated you know 
all over the place so that's their thing you know that is their thing i mean united states is racist but i tell you what see just because the english do it with an accent you know, that's the funny it's a thing. Bit nicer. It's yeah. a bit nicer. People think it's nice. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been talked to by an older British man. He's like, uh no, mm-hmm. sweetheart. And I was like, but you're being so nice, but you're being so mean. Right, right. Kind of confused. Yeah. But you know, that was what uh Killmonger actually mentioned it in Black Panther mm-hmm. when uh they're in the art museum mm-hmm. and he was admiring a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh, are you like it? And he's like, Oh yeah. I'm gonna take it. And she was like, "No, it's not for sale." He was like, "Okay, but y'all took it, right?" So I'm gonna take it too. And I was like, "Exactly." That's, what, that's why everybody rooted for Killmonger. It's like he's a villain that you uh, yeah. empathize with, yeah, and you 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 humanize him. You're like, mm-hmm. "I see why you're mad. Mm-hmm. I see why you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. I see how the world hardened you, mm-hmm. and you should have been held, mm-hmm. and it caused you to be this kind of person." Because honestly, I was rooting for him the entire movie. Yeah, but I mean, what was he necessarily bad? See, you you yeah. have to remember that movies in America, the way movies are made, is is certain things. Like if you if you really notice movies, you have the good almost always triumphs over so-called evil, right? Because that is how they want you to think. That's how they, it, the, um, the elites, they want you to think like that. If I do good things, then I'm going to be rewarded for it. But if you look at the elites and how they make money, they do the most horrendous things you can think of, and they are rewarded for it over and over. Even with this pandemic, we look at how much money... Bezos has 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 made you know from this pandemic and others of his ilk it's it's the same thing but we are supposed to believe that you know what we're supposed to be do we're supposed to be good we're supposed to follow the ten commandments and all they don't do it and and they are getting paid to me this pandemic in particular in America because I don't know how it was other countries. Mm-hmm. It showed the ugly side mm-hmm. and the self, the soul, yes. the super selfish way of American people. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that from just a grocery store alone. There is no reason to go to the grocery store and go to the meat section because you have a deep freezer and buy $500 worth of meat when it's like, okay, we need a ration because we have no idea how long this is. And there's a trickle down effect. Like, yes, in Texas, restaurants are open. But a lot of them, their menus are smaller, or they'll have them like, hey, certain items are, are no longer available or come, um, you know, in, in, in small quantity. Mm-hmm. And even when we had the, the, the big freeze that has happened, the snowpocalypse that happened a few weeks ago or a month ago now, we went to the grocery store and it was completely bare with the meat. And I was like, you know what's funny, Chris? All these people who went and bought all this food for their deep freezers, and we all lost power. Everybody in Texas lost power mm-hmm. to the point where you could not just put yourself in the snow and it'll be cold. It's not temperature enough. You're still going to lose that food. You need to cook it. You don't have a gas stove. We have electric. Or you live in an apartment, and you have an electric stove, but you can't use a, a grill because you live in an apartment. Mm-hmm. There's, there's all these things. Luckily, we have a gas stove. We got lucky like that, but... For our age, a lot of people we know our age didn't have flashlights mm-hmm. or candles or blankets or food. And I was like, I'm glad I prepared for this. Mm-hmm. But it's just, people, like I said, it showed like a very selfish, ugly side where now we have to have hours at the grocery store for seniors. Yeah. And even then, I know the seniors start at a certain age. What if I'm 
what if I'm uh, 52 and I live by myself and I have health problems? It's like, well, it takes me a while in the store in the first place. So now I can't go at 6 or 7 in, in the morning. I don't wait with everybody else in line for hours to get in the store with hopes of being able to get groceries. I will say Costco did a good job. They, they organized. Costco's like, you're not going to come in here and cause uh, a ruckus. It's one case of water per family, two packs of meat, one pack of toilet paper. And even the grocery stores, they, they went up in prices. But, you know, it's just, it's greed. It, to me, it just showed how selfish America is, how greedy America is. Not saying that they're not these bright pockets of America, but it just was ugly in the beginning. And you know what? Um, it showed me. Like, we always, like, we study stuff like the uh, Roman Empire and the Greek Empire and uh, even the British Empire and stuff like that. And you say, okay, what caused these different empires to collapse, right? And, you know, they say, like, the Roman Empire, it, it took a while. It was like a slow decline, blah, 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 right? This thing right here, it showed me not only the... Uh, the, the snow that we had in Texas, but this whole uh, pandemic, it, it, it has showed me how quick a society can implode. Especially if the structure wasn't strong enough to begin with in the first place. Yeah. I, I mean, it don't take much. I've been saying this for a while. My friends were like, Nia, you're being extra. Or maybe you watch too many movies. I'm like, I am waiting for something to happen because it's just left and right. When you, in particular, when you talk to people who are not American, they're always surprised at like, you know, when you get to the teeth of America, of like how our healthcare system is or how employment, uh, pay, uh, paid employment is for people who are servers, you know, and it's just like, wait, they can do that? Yes. Or FDA and what they can legally allow in our food, mm -hmm. whether you think so or not, mm -hmm. which you should, everybody should look into what the rules are. Um, it's really crazy. It, it, to me, it's kind of like we are like prehistoric. We are in the mm -hmm. Stone Age compared to these other countries mm -hmm. you know it, it's sad but everybody wants to move to america for these opportunities maybe i don't see it the same because i'm i'm american born but i'm born to an american father and a jamaican mother so i don't know i have like a different view of it when i look at when i look at society in america yeah um you know although i'm american right uh i traveled a lot especially from a from a young age and like i said i i had uh really good teachers growing up not only um panthers and and stuff like that i even had teachers in my public school that were panthers two two years in a row i think it was fifth and sixth grade right two guys and they were young guys they were like i don't know 22 23 24 they were they were very young and they were very uh, structured. They were very like, um, they just, they just, they dressed perfectly. The diction was perfect. Uh, that was at a time when teachers were allowed to actually teach. They didn't have to go by the lesson plan. So they very rarely stayed on that lesson plan, okay? So I learned a lot and they piqued my curiosity and they sent me to different places because they knew that, oh, this guy really wants to know, you know, more about this. And, you know, they would tell me, you go down to the to the main library in Detroit, and you go down to the to the uh, basement. Right. That's where all the treasures I hid down there in the basement. You know, that's the books that they don't want everybody to know. 
you got to really know something to go down there and say, yeah, I want to, I want this book or I want that pamphlet, you know, and they were kind of, you know, because I was a young guy, they would look at me like, what? You want this? What do you mean you want to read that? You know, but they got used to me. So um, they would say, okay, here he come. Get ready. You'll know what he's asking today, but he's going to ask for something off the wall. I wanted to ask this, just because this popped into my head. So, a 21-year-old, you said Fred Hampton died in 1969, right? Yeah. So, a 21-year-old in 1969 to a 21-year-old now. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have the same issues racially, mm-hmm. right? With mm-hmm. society being a black man in America and what that all entails. But I feel like in the 60s and 70s, and even the 80s, cause like, you know, like with hip-hop and how, how they in, invoke that too, it's like back then it was, they were so passionate and what would everybody have to say? Uh, I live for the people because I die for the people because like he was truly, I believe in this so deeply, mm-hmm. I will die for this. I do not feel like that's the same now. Well, I can tell you why. See, back in those days, uh, we were segregated. Even people think that segregation was only in the South and that's not true. Um, I grew up in Detroit. Detroit was segregated by what they call redlining, which means that you could only live in certain areas. I don't care if you're a dentist, a doctor, I I don't care. In certain areas, you could not buy a house in, okay? Which meant that all the black people were in one area, okay? Now, when you are in one one area, that's, that's all of you together. So, I feel what you feel. You feel what I feel, okay? So it's not like now where, where this generation now where people live all over the place. Um, look at the places that, that you have lived. We only lived in one place that I would say was a quote unquote black area. That was Hilltop in Tacoma, Washington. I remember that. And you were too young because you were a baby. baby. You were a baby, baby, baby. So you don't know, but ask your sister. I, I heard the story. And you ask your brother about the uh the things that they had to go through with us saying you know what we always talk this black this and black that how come we don't live in a black area so we moved to a black Y'all we moved to, a, to the hood moved to a black ass <laughs> we moved to the hood and you know because they see that you know i was working for the post office i think your mother was still in the in the in the military we both had like new cars, uh, they could see the way that we dress and the way we carry ourselves. We were like a victim to them. A two, is that the cause you moved in? Yeah, it's like, yeah. The, the two, uh, two parent household yep. with, with siblings, yep. and y'all got no problems. Yep. Uh, this don't sound right. I don't mm-hmm. like this. I don't Shit, like this. Tell who you think you is. Yeah. Huh? Basically. I, I, even though, so I was raised in a, in a military town, which to me is just like, you have this rainbow of just people. Everybody. You know, I bring Asian <laughs> friends home, Latino yep. friends. Mm-hmm. Like, just so many different kinds of friends that come up. My mm-hmm. mom's like, oh, okay, Nia, you just bring everybody home, mm-hmm. I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, to me, yeah, it was different because my, like, first bout of racism wasn't until I was maybe, what, like, nine or ten. It was my na- my white neighbor called me the N-word. And my reaction was like, oh, this this is what mom and dad telling you about racism. This is weird. Cause like, 
you're just mad at me because I don't agree with you with something, but you're just saying what your parents told you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna call you a name. I'm just gonna go tell my mom what you said. Mm-hmm. She can talk to your mama, and we go see what's gonna happen because my mom is crazy and she don't play that, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, we go. We can go to the next question. Uh, so how do you feel? Closer. <clears throat> How do you feel regarding the Black Lives Matter <clears throat> and their efforts? What, if anything, do you think they need to work on? Okay, I love the BLM movement. I think they are taking over the vacuum that has been left open for far too long for young people to make their voices heard. Police brutality and the support of racist policies and government and the general society have to be addressed and mitigated. 2045, don't forget this year, 2045 is the year that the U.S. will no longer be majority white. If you think white people are just sitting back, waiting to be in a minority, you are sadly mistaken. The attacks on voter access is just the beginning. I can foresee a time when only property owners are allowed to vote or only people with college degrees, or only people that make $500,000 a year, or people that have at least a million dollars in their bank account are allowed to vote. The restriction of voter access will keep the powers that be in power. So always fight the power and tell truth to power. All right, Dad, I only have a couple more questions for you. So, George Floyd, the case is currently at trial. We've seen and heard witnesses' testimony. There's even a video of the incident. What do you think will happen to the cop that killed him? If convicted, how many years do you think he will get? Well, uh, based on prior things that have happened, prior cases that are are similar to that. Um, I really, it's, to me, it's not a, uh, even though you have video evidence and you have numerous people who are witnesses to this, um, it's not a done deal that he's going to be convicted at all, okay? Um, If he is, which of course he should be, then, um, you know, I would say 20, 25 years because it's not just one, one thing that he's, that he's going, uh, that he's being charged with, you know, it's, it's numerous charges. So I think it's like two or three charges that, that he's being charged with. So um, if he's found guilty on all of those charges, he, you have to add like, one, it may be 10 years, one may be five years, one may be 10 years, right? So then you got to put all that together and then they serve it concurrently, I think is what they call it. Do you, I think it's like at the judge's uh, discretion if it's, if it's concurrently or not. Mm-hmm. What about the the other cops that are involved in the incident? Do you think that they're going to get time if... if uh... I believe that they are as guilty as the man who had his knee on George Floyd's neck because it's like if you say somebody robs a bank, right? And say you got two people that go in to rob the bank that actually robbed the bank and then you got a getaway driver, right? 
And if they all get caught, the getaway driver is charged just like the, the two that went in inside the bank. And it's the same thing with, with this, right? Uh, those guys, they knew that what he was doing was wrong, right? They knew that his eyes was glazed over. I mean, you see somebody doing something, even if it's somebody who is your superior, right? Um, still, you got you got to do the right thing, man. You you always got to do the right thing. It's just like recently where you had that thing where it was uh, I think it was in New York, and this black man he kicked this Filipino lady down, oh, and he and, and he stumped her out, right? And the people right in front of the hotel door. Close the door. They close the door. They act like nothing is going they, on. They close the door after it all happened, though. Not during. It was mm. after it happened. The guy walked away. Mm. They closed the door. Mm-hmm. And ugh, didn't render. Scary. Didn't render aid. Nothing. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, I don't understand that at all. It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me, especially when I see minorities, so-called minorities, attacking other so-called minorities, and especially defenseless older people. You know, if you want, if if you think you bad, if you black, and you think you want to go and and do something to Asians, go to the dojo, go to the dojo, mess with them, okay? Mess with them. That that's how you prove get, to me that you bad. That body rock yeah. real quick. Yeah, you go in there. You go in there and and call them names. Go in there and 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 say what you gotta say. Don't don't be messing with they, you know, grandparents and great grandparents and stuff, man. Come on, it, it's it's stupid anyway. Racist and stupid. But that's why I'm scared for older people. Where it's like a you know they can't even be by themselves anymore. You know, yeah. like they need protection, whether it's their family or somebody in the neighborhood that's just like, hey, you know, let me let me walk with you to your house to make sure you get in okay, you know, because people do target um, older people because they think that they're weak or fragile mm-hmm. or alone, and they also target um, women who are by themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I just found this thing out a couple months ago of, like, people will mark people's apartments that they might write on their trash can or mailbox, like, 1F, single female in an apartment by herself. So now you can, like, you know, go attack, yeah. Jeez. go attack her so like, we have things that it looks like you know there's a male presence here mm-hmm. so I, I i feel comfortable you know and it's like uh, pe- people know he's here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but like still if i come i work a night shift so me coming home late at night it does concern me that something could happen because that's a short walk to my how even parking right there under the awning it's a short walk to my door but it's still a walk to my door to do by myself I, I think you were taught to always have your spray with you. Yes, Dad. And also to always have your knife with you. But I guess you don't want to listen to what I say. Well, technically the job I have, um, mm-hmm. I cannot have that in my car because it's deemed a weapon. Yes. So remember, I'm, a, I, I'm an employee for a certain organization. I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah. But if I were to go on the property with that and they do a, oh, we're going to, you know, go through stuff, I yeah. don't want that to happen. Because I thought about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll put it in my car. And the guard was like, you can't do that. Like, you can actually get in trouble. And I was like, oh, okay. What was you like, hide it underneath, like, something. And when I get home, mm. pull it out, you know. But but it, it, in general, it sucks that people have to think that way. Yeah. You know, but it is it is the world that we live in. You know, you know what they say in boxing, protect yourself at all times. Ain't, the, ain't that the truth? Okay. Ain't that the truth? So 
So why is it the fact that no matter where you're from, your people originated from Africa? So why do people not believe that? Why are people not taught that in school? When this is, you know, I've known this for for years now, but it seems that people are in disbelief of this. Well, um, we are not taught that. We are we are taught about colors and the thing of colors like you're white, you're black, you're you're Asian, you're whatever, you're brown, you're you're whatever. All that stuff of colors was not even a thing until 1748, okay? Um this this Swiss botanist came up with the idea of um black people um, and then he would he would write out what what he thinks black people's personality is. White people, their personality. Um, Indians, their personality. Asians, their personality. All based on the color of their of their skin. So he put it in order. And of course, you know, white is was was the the top, right? And I think um, Asian may have been second, Indian third. Black black was at the bottom of the list. That has expanded, and you got all that mongoloid and all that stuff like that, negroid, all that stuff came into being also. But it was all in a way to say that we are better, okay? We are the best, you're second best, you're third best, you're the worst, right? Mm -hmm. And people believe that because it's been reinforced, like, Everywhere around the world, like I said about the British being the OGs of racism, right? Everywhere that they've conquered, they've brung that, that color thing, right? They're, say like if, uh, like say during slavery and the, uh, the plantation owner, he impregnated a white, white I mean a, a black woman and they had children. Those children are higher in the hierarchy of, of, of slavery. They're, they're gonna be treated better, they're gonna have better food, they're gonna have better jobs, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's part of why the, the colorism in the black community um, came in, you know, because the light, the light-skinned slave was, was treated better, the dark-skinned slave was in the field and treated worse, so of course, um, you're going to have them bumping heads with each other because of that. And even today, you still have a lot of that, you know, still going on. A lot of colorism. Yeah, but to go back, circle back around to your original question, it's not taught in school anywhere that uh, DNA will, will prove, right? You already had skeletons that were dug up and it's been proven that um, everybody has a common ancestor and a common ancestor is, is black and is found in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Mm-hmm. That's been, that's, that's a DNA, I mean, that's, that's been, that's a, what do you call it? Anthropological fact. Now, DNA came in and DNA is a scientific fact where it's saying that the only way the only way that these people can can be who they are 
is if they come from Africa, right? That's the only way that you can be. The only people that don't have that is black people because we never left Africa. I mean, some black people never left Africa. Some black people did leave Africa and they developed into whatever they developed into. Uh, and another thing, do you know that the, the oldest skeleton that was found in England is called the Cheddar Man? That, that uh, just like the cheese, Cheddar, Cheddar Man. Okay. Remember you told me I I did my research. Mm-hmm. I looked at, I looked into it. Right. But go ahead and so, so the Cheddar Man, that skeleton, like you know how they do it and they, they can make it where they can see what you looked like when you were alive. Mm-hmm. Your your like complexion, bones. your hair, your eyes, right? So if you were to look at the Cheddar Man, the Cheddar Man would basically look like uh let's say Michael Jackson when he was black, but darker, because he was darker, right? Um, I say Michael Jackson because I know people don't know who Nicholas Ashford is, but he was in a group called Ashford and Simpson, right? Uh, oh, I know the group, but I can't place a face. Yeah, but if you look up Nat Ashford and Ashford and Simpson and you look at Nick Ashford, Cheddar Man looks exactly like Nick Ashford. He has the, the long... Um, Long black hair, probably shoulder length, dark skin, um, but with blue eyes. So that was the freaky thing. It's like dark skin guy, all his features are black, but blue eyes, you know? So that's the oldest skeleton ever dug out up in, in England, right? So the people in England, of course, are freaking out because they like, what? And no. Right. But if you go back scientifically, there was no such thing as a white person. What we would think of as a white person until 7000 years ago. And if you look at it, 7000 years ago, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pyramids are 5000 years old. So you're, you, you go back 2000 years more than that, you know, before that there were no white people. What, what we would look at today and call a white person, you know. Oh, so I want to put a side note of, if you do not believe what Jamal is saying, you can look it up for yourself. As he said earlier, always, always do your own oh, research your own because research. it's nothing like hearing something and then fact checking it through multiple facets and be like, oh, okay, I had no idea about this. It's actually a real thing. I just mm-hmm. wasn't taught. I, no, no one, no one uh, told me when I was younger for whatever reason. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're not going to teach you stuff like that. They're not going to teach because, you know, to to maintain their dominance, they have to think that they that it's a reason that they're dominating people. It's a reason that I'm racist against black people or or Asian people or they don't deserve to be treated like like I'm treated. You know, I just, I just always I think because of how you and mom raised me, which is basically just be kind of others just I guess more of like a Buddhist principle mm-hmm. um I never understood someone like it, it took me a while to really understand what racism was I'm like so you mean to tell me there are people who do not like me because of the color of my skin the kicking coils of my hair the way I walk or talk that I cannot help this is how it naturally comes to me that's really weird I don't have that feeling towards other people I take people as what they are but just just, just think of this speaking of your hair how many cases have you seen 
in the last, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years where um, a woman in the workplace, she cannot, she, she's told you can't wear your hair like that. Whether it's an afro, whether it's dreads, whether it's just, you know, whatever. It's, it has to be what they call, quote unquote, corporate. And corporate is looking like Becky. See, Becky, that's the way her hair grows out of her head. Mm -hmm. So, fine. But anytime that they're telling you that you got to put chemical treatment or heat or something in your hair to make it look like theirs for you to work with them, that got to be a problem. See, now, so I worked at, I don't care about say the place's name, Uh, I worked at a YMCA in a small town and it was a black lady who was my supervisor and I had my natural hair. I had it styled. Everybody else said it was fine. She actually pulled me aside in her office and told me that my hair was not work professional. I asked her what is wrong with it and she said that you need to quote unquote straighten out that kinky shit. You need to either put a weave in your head or you need to perm your hair. And I'm looking at her and I'm just like, wow. And light-skinned black lady, I'm not thinking of it in a colorist way, but I'm just like, okay. But there's another girl who we're not supposed to have her hair dyed in in, in natural colors. Her hair is bright pink, shaved on the side. They were like lip shaved in it. And I'm just like, okay, so she can have her hair like that. We're not supposed to have tattoos. She's tied up out the ass. But I'm a problem because I have natural hair. And and my students loved it. I had I had these two biracial girls in my in my group. They were white and black, and the mom was in the military, so the dad had them. And he's like, I don't know what to do with their hair. And I was like, I will happily help you. You know, and the girls had an appreciation for their hair because it was always a burden. Their hair was matted, dad. It was super mm-hmm. matted, and it mm-hmm. took me an hour to comb both their hair mm-hmm. just to put in, like a little bun for them for right. the day, you know. Right. But they were so appreciative and it made them mm-hmm. feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. These beautiful little girls that did not feel pretty because of, the, of their hair wasn't yeah. like their white friends or Latina yeah. friends or Asian yeah. friends. It made them feel, you know, ostracized. And I think that we need to stop it. I like that, you know, it's getting a little bit better. Like where I work at, my hair isn't a problem in any kind of state, no matter what color it is, what kind of texture it is. But with hearing that black lady tell me that, I was like, you know, I purposely wear my hair because I, I like my hair. Mm-hmm. You know, I was taught with my family that my hair is a beautiful thing. So it was just kind of weird to hear from another black person that my hair is wrong. And I still wear extensions, but I purposely make sure that it's Afro texture extensions, you know, or it's braids or faux mm-hmm. locks or twists because I don't need to... Um, have a, a a European hairstyle on me. I just personally don't like the look, and it makes me feel like I'm nothing against anybody else who does it. I feel like I'm being something that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Why am I trying to fit their beauty standard when I don't want to fit their beauty standard? I can't say that, you know. I can't act like I'm a like uh, like Ari Ari Lennox is, is, is mm-hmm. what I'm gonna use. Mm-hmm. I love Ari Lennox. She's a beautiful natural Thurston woman with natural curly hair. I can't act as if I'm her and then, you know, try to, you know, be somebody else who's who's faking. It's just not, it's not who I am. Yep. Well, Dad, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate your insight on this because I didn't know who else to talk to about this. But to me, you're my go-to person for stuff like this, you know, mm-hmm. always drop in. Well, I love that. Any, anything, anything. I love, I love history. I love science and uh 
I know a lot of people, they were not privy to this kind of stuff growing up, you know, and there's no, no fault of their own, you know. Uh, but you are an adult now, and uh, this is a time when you have everything at your finger. You have the world at your fingertips. In you can pocket. literally learn anything just by saying the word cheddar man. And you will learn about Cheddar Man. He'd be like, oh, wow, what that dude was saying was right, you know? And yeah. you would be like, wow, who who knew? I, I think it's easier for us, you know, uh, people that are millennials or, or even like Gen Z's. It's a little bit easier mm-hmm. because we're so used to the internet, you yeah. know? So yeah. we can literally look up anything we want mm-hmm. at any point in time and just mm-hmm. gain knowledge. I look up random things all the time. I might get on like, you know, a a rabbit hole of stuff of where how did I get here yep. you know started from this small thing and it transpired this but it's still like a, you know no matter how old you are we are like you say we are constantly learning we are constantly growing should be how you are now what you know now was not my dad five years ago my dad mm-hmm. ten years ago mm-hmm. you know I like that you stay you even read uh, psychology journals and stuff and you're like oh do you know that teens need X amount of sleep or blah mm-hmm. like I love that about yeah. you that you're because you remember at one time yes. I said no you gotta go to sleep and you you gotta get up at a certain time and then it and then it morphed into hey however long you need to sleep go ahead and sleep yeah, <laughs> and and I didn't force you to eat certain things anymore. It's like, well, if you don't like that, you don't have to eat that. You know, yeah. we'll 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 find something that you do like to eat. You know, and all of that, like you say, is about growth because you got to keep growing in life. You know. Do you remember what you told me you have to be like? Hmm. You have to be like water. There you go. Yep. All water right. water has so many different uh, states. Yep. It could flow through everything. Yep. It could it could be impenetrable when it becomes it, ice. Like there's just so many things that it can be, and someone may not, may look hear that and be like, okay, like whatever, be like water. But it is so true. Water, <laughs> water so can true. literally go through a, a rock, a boulder. You could take the biggest boulder you got. You have enough water and some time. over enough time. Oh, it's gonna be a hole in that sucker. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. and that's that's water. It's very <laughs> adaptable. Water Extremely. is adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dad, I know you have your your books, and I want people to be able to get them if they would like to. So go ahead and tell them where they can get that at. The most recent book that you have, and then the one that you're currently work, working on. Okay, um, my books are on various sites. Uh, they're on Amazon.com. They're on Barnes and Noble. They're on a lot of little little small ones here and there. Um, the book that I'm currently walk, working on, I mean, I, I, it's, it's done writing, but this book has really been the most difficult book that I've um, ever done. It's definitely the longest book I've ever written. It's like 600 pages, but don't be scared because a lot of it is pictures. Um, the, the photos are so important. And I think that the, the, the photographs tell the story. It tell the story of this because this book, it actually started just to be a book about complexions within the black community, right? But then it ended up, because I actually started writing this book in 2009, okay? I, I finished this book in 2020, 2020. 
I finished writing in 2020. Now I didn't write it the whole this whole time, but I've written various books in between this, right? However, uh, it was good, you know, because books will tell you what they need, you know, um, and things. A lot of things have happened that I've been able to incorporate in this book. So, like I said, it started out just about complexions in the black community and colorism and stuff like that. It ended up being adding into it about DNA and how we all are the same, no matter if you're blonde and blue eyed from Norway or you are dark skin and you're from uh, South Africa, right? We, we all are literally the same uh, we have the same DNA, science has proved it, anthropology has proved it, um, even samples from migratory birds have proved it, you know? So we have to realize that we have more in common than we do different, you know? And uh, we can't let the powers that be separate us because that's what they want to do. They always want to separate Divide and us. conquer. Divide and conquer. It's a lot easier if you're yes. pitting people against you yes. because they're technically doing your dirty work yes. for you. Yes. Then when they're done, you can come in and clamp the rest yes. so it's not that much effort that you personally have to put in and you more times it's not look like the savior instead of the person who's actually caused the destruction. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I can't say any more than that. I appreciate your time uh, for allowing me to come and answer some questions about one of my favorite subjects. You know, any anything to do with the uh, Black Power movement, I, I love because I cut my teeth on that. I grew up in it. I was immersed in it. Um, I even changed my name for it, yep. you know? Which I'm very happy. Yeah. I'm very happy about yeah. that. Like, if people don't know, mm -hmm. um, you have what's called a slave name. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy, I think... Oh, one of the few people that actually have it. I wasn't born with one of those. Mm -hmm. I was born with my father's name purely, and it was, I'm going to say, uh, untainted. You know, <laughs> so I feel a little bit special. Focus on my full name online, on, on, on my podcast, but Nia, Shante, I don't, I don't hear that commonly with people, and it's, mm -hmm. it sticks out. People are like, oh, you're African African, huh? Y'all one of those, uh, y'all one of those people, huh? And I'm like, hey, we're very, uh, Afrocentric, but I always say my parents are very Afrocentric in the nineties. Kind of like I, they blackity black, <laughs> blackity black. <laughs> mm. I celebrate Kwanzaa, blackity black. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, it's it's funny when I uh, changed my name. Like I always knew I was going to change my name. Once I knew about my history, I would say I was probably about nine or ten or something like that and I, I knew I was going to change my name I, I knew that it was something I'm not carrying a slave name this is the oppressor's name that I'm literally carrying you know why would I do that you know this is the person that enslaved my people that raped my people and I'm carrying his name no I'm not, I'm not doing that but you know people keep it now because like, oh, well, this is my dad's and my grandpa. And I'm like, I get what you're saying. But maybe they didn't understand at the time. But to no. me, it just carries this. And no, no, nothing against anybody who keeps that name. That's your yeah, business. That's but your to business. me, if you kept the name, to have this Gaines name. Mm -hmm. And no offense to her family who still has that last name. Nia Gaines does not sound good. Nia Gaines 
I don't think my name would have been Nia. It wouldn't have been Nia. It doesn't flow right, you know. But like me, my sister, my sister's name is Kiana. My brother's name is Jero. We we my mom's name is Ayana. We all have these very strong, prominent names that I'm very happy and proud of. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, Dad, again, thank you so much for coming on this episode. I really appreciate it. And I know in the future, whether it's a, a history movie or a science movie or, again, talking about important subject matter in the black community, I know that you're my go-to person for all of that. Yeah, I got you. All right. Also, people, Dad does not have social media. Jamal does not do the Twitter or the Instagram um, or the Facebook. I got Facebook. Or, you got the Facebook? Oh, he he got, got the Facebook, I got y'all. The Facebook. He got the Facebook. I had the Facebook for like eight years. I wasn't I pretty sure. I was Facebook. like, I think he still has it. It's a Black Lab Publishing, right? Yeah, Black Lab Publishing. But to look up any of my books, you just look up my name, Jamal Kenya Ashante. Um, it's easier to go to Amazon, but like I said, it's in it's in different places. All I'll over. write the spelling in the in the title because. People, his name is Jamal, J-A-M-A-A-L-K-E-N-Y-A, first name, last of the Shantae, A-S-H-A-N-T-I. Took all the A's in the alphabet. All the A's in the all alphabet. The all the A's. All the A's. All the A's. Right. All right. Repeat I wanted to highlight a few of the actors in the film for their portrayals of these characters and these real life people. I think that these are a lot of up and coming young actors who I cannot wait to see even more from them. Starting off with Dominique Fishback, who played Deborah Johnson. She's amazing in every role that I've seen her in so far. And I can't wait to see what else we get we get from her. Um, she had a film on Netflix with Jimmy Fox. I think she really shined in that film. And, you know, she, she, she was performing alongside of a great actor like Jamie. And she definitely held her own and commanded your attention on screen. Next, we have Ashton Sanders, who plays Jimmy Palmer. Um, he's a great actor, too. Phenomenal. This man is just so good. He is on the Hulu show, the Wu-Tang show, uh, Wu-Tang Clan show. And I thought that was really, he did a really good performance in that. Then we also have Algie Smith, who plays Jake Winters. I remember seeing him in Euphoria. Um, I remember seeing him in The Hate You Give. And I really loved his character in The Hate You Give. But this performance right here, I think it really showcased the possibilities for this young man coming up. Then we had Dominique Thorne, who played Judy Harmon. I really liked her character. She, When the camera was on her, she commanded your attention. When she spoke, she spoke firm. It was just, it was just, a, it was very beautiful. And then the cameo appearance by Little Rel Hart, uh, Harry, he played Wayne. And we only saw him for a few moments, but it was nice to see him in a role where it wasn't about comedy. We got to see that he has some duality with him and maybe it's going to open the door for him for other roles that are a bit more serious, a little bit more drama roles for him compared to the comedy that he does. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Pineapple Rails. If you like this episode, please give me a like and a comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps me out a lot. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Pineapple Rails. And if you have any comments or suggestions for movies you'd like me to cover, please email me or DML, or uh, DM me. But if you want to email, that's going to be pineapple rails at gmail.com.
On next week's episode of Pamperils, I'll be diving into a movie that I really love and I think showcases how we in society look at reality TV. And I'm talking about The Truman Show starring Jim Carrey. Stay tuned.